0: All right, well, if you've got your Bible, you can open it up to the book of 1 Corinthians. And um, we're going to do something a little different today. And uh, if you did not receive uh, one of these communion cups, um, one of our elders here, Mr. Jeff Hill, is going to get up. And um, if you're a believer in the room and you did not get one of these, uh, he would gladly hand-deliver one to you. So if you could just make some noise, draw some commotion... uh, He'll be available to give you one. Um, if you're not a believer, um, at the end of my few minutes of sharing, we're going to take communion. We would just ask that you would abstain. Uh, we won't identify you or recognize you or anything like that. In fact, we'll respect you um, for having uh, the conviction to not partake. So, um, But if you're a believer and you didn't get one of these, make sure you got one. He'd gladly bring one to you. We've got a few over here. Awesome. Um, and what we're going to do is I'm just going to walk us through 1 Corinthians for a minute. And then uh, lead us through a time of prayer as we begin our year just at the Lord's table. um, Remembering his body broken for us, remembering his blood shed for us. We've got a few more. Um, So, but before I do that, um, what kind of prompted this, next week, uh, I promise you, we'll jump into uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to spend the next few weeks, um, even over a month or two-ish, walking through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 verse at a time, just walking through Jesus's most famous sermon. And uh, we're really excited about that starting next week. But what prompted this time is honestly, um, New Year's happened yesterday. Yeah, sorry, it's been a long week. Uh, we took our young adults to a conference and got back last night. But uh, New Year's is yesterday and I love New Year's because of it's this blank slate, right? You, you got the year ahead of you, You've got this blank canvas, all this potential. You've got all of last year um, in the rear view, all of those kind of things. But what got me thinking and just through some devotionals and stuff um, is you see, look ahead, all of this potential, blank slate, I'm not carrying the baggage, I'm walking into the new year, all this opportunity. Um, What's so crazy about that whole idea is that's literally what we have in the mercy of God every morning. If you've ever thought about that, Lamentations talks about how God's mercies are new for us every morning. Um, That this whole refreshing, new feeling we get every new year, you can have that on a daily basis in the gospel of Jesus Christ, where you can wake up new and afresh because God's mercy has paid for yesterday and the day before and today and tomorrow. And there's so much opportunity. There's no condemnation if you're in Christ. You don't have to walk in the guilt of yesterday or the shame of yesterday or the brokenness of yesterday. You're free, you're new, you're holy, you're made right in the finished work of Jesus. You can have this feeling that we often look forward to and kind of rest and refresh. and. Start to plan, and I'm not against planning or anything like that. Like, I'm not trying to bash New Year's. Like, it's great that we take time to set goals and plan, and and in light of the cross, we should do all of those things to be faithful stewards of his grace and to leverage our lives for his glory um, as best we can. So I'm not trying to bash any of that, but what I am trying to say is this feeling that we get every New Year's, you can have that on a daily basis because of the cross of Christ. You can experience that every morning. His mercy is new and waiting for you, every single morning if we would open up his word and run to it and find mercy and grace and help in our time of need, um, because it's there. So in light of that, um, and in light of the fact that, um, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, that before we take this, that we are to examine ourselves and to pray and to confess sin and those kind of things. Uh, I'm gonna walk us through just a few verses in 1 Corinthians. And then what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a few words um, out of this chapter. And uh, someone actually did this with me this week. Um, preached a message, sat under the word of God, and then asked me and a bunch of other young adults to open up our Bibles. And then based on the passage that we just heard, We praised God for the things that we saw, his character, his works, his mighty deeds in the text. So we just took a minute and praised God um, for what we read in the text. And then we took a few minutes and we confessed um, for all the ways that we fall short of the text. And it was just a beautiful thing. And I figured this would be a great way for us to examine ourselves before we kick off our year um, at the table of the Lord. Um, remembering his body broken and his blood shed. So if you've got your Bible, I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians 10, and I just want to walk us through a few of these verses, and then uh, we'll have a time of prayer, and I'll lead us through that. Um, but this is verse 10, and... Um, just to give you a little context, this is actually a response letter um, in a few chapters after chapter one. Paul's going to mention, uh, he'll, he'll start the chapter with, now concerning the things that you wrote to me. Um, so they the church at Corinth that Paul started, they're writing him a letter and they're asking him about certain issues and disagreements that are going on in their church and some theological issues. And this is Paul's response letter. Um, that he wrote back to them. And we skipped kind of the introduction this morning. But one of the things that was going on is that there was a lot of disunity and there was a lot of disagreements over, some people said they were following Paul, some people said they were following Apollos. And yeah, you're you're a Paul Christian, you're an Apollos Christian. I follow Peter, I follow this guy. Well, Paul's wiser than Peter, so I'm gonna follow Paul and not Peter. And like, you just see all of these divisions and Paul starts addressing that in this section. And he says this, I appeal to you brothers, this is verse 10, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. And um, in fact, in the book of Philippians, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind and of the same heart, unified. So if you wanna know what like a pastor's dream is, if you wanna know what Pastor Paul's joy would be complete is, if, if our church would get along. And I'm not saying that, I'm not subtweeting like there's anything going on. I'm just saying what the text says. Uh, There's not a specific issue that I'm like, you know, trying to attack or anything like that. Um, But that's our heart. That's what we, in fact, we've got lots of plans this year for us to get together and break bread together, have meals together, do life together, carry burdens together, all of those kind of things that you'll hear about going into the new year. Um, But we want this to be a place where it's not just light, but it's warmth and you know each other and you do life with each other and we care for one another and lay hands on one another and pray for one another and those kind of things. And Paul says, it would complete my joy if we were a unified body. And uh, then he's going to address what's dividing them. And I promise this isn't about division in the church. We'll, we'll move past this in just a second, but I'm just saying what the text says. Um, he says, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, which means Peter, or I follow Christ. So you see these Christians are like, well, I'm a Paul guy because he's more wise than Peter and Well, now Peter's more wise than Apollos and you you see these divisions that are showing up in the church and this is what um, Paul says. He says in verse 13, he says, "'Is Christ divided? "'Was Paul crucified for you "'or were you baptized in the name of Paul?' "'And he instantly starts killing these divisions.'" And when he says, I pray that you would all agree, he doesn't mean that every single tiny little issue we're all just gonna be in complete agreement about. Like, let's, let's be real. Where There's gonna be disagreements. What he's talking about here is all the divisions of the world that they don't exist in this body. Not the building, but like the body of believers that in Ephesians, he talks about um, race, class, economic standing, all of those kind of things that, that the gospel destroys the dividing wall of hostility among us. That in here, there is no um, slave or free, there is no Jew, there is no Greek, but we are all one in Christ. And if you are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, then we are all adopted into one family. So he's saying there's not Paul Christians, there's not Apollos Christians, there's not any of those. Paul didn't die for you, Peter didn't die for you. Christ died for you. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? And I love this in verse 14. Um, It gets kind of humorous. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. And then you get this parenthetical. He said, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. And we know that this letter was written by a scribe. So you can imagine Paul kind of pacing and like saying this and the scribe's just like, I guess I'll write that. I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. Well, there was these two guys and then that one family. But beyond that, I don't, I don't remember if I baptized any. And the scribe's just like, all right, I'll just keep writing this stuff down. And this is what we get, right? Um, but Paul is glad because he didn't want to be a stumbling block. He didn't want people to follow him, which is so prevalent in our culture. If you want a mini-sermon for today, um, so many of us, it's, ah, I can't really learn unless this one personality or this guy is preaching to me. Um, that, that person is not helping you at that point. We weren't made to follow personalities. Churches aren't built on personalities, and I know this isn't true in here, um, because look at, like none of you are here because of me, but I pray against that idea wholeheartedly, that we're not meant to follow personalities and people and gifts and all those kind of things. Those people didn't die, Christ died for us. And Paul is breaking down all of those different divisions in the church And then he said this, for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross be emptied of its power. Paul says, I didn't show up and try to wow you with fancy words. He'll later say, I didn't come to you later in this chapter with wise words or eloquent speech or anything like that. I came with Christ and Christ crucified. But Paul says, I intentionally did not try to get all wise like the Pharisees Why? Because I didn't want the gospel message to be emptied of its power. And then he's gonna go on. For the word of cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's folly. The word of the gospel is foolishness to those who don't believe it. In fact, you might have people right now that you just spent time with over the holidays, family members, neighbors, where the message, the idea... That a carpenter from Nazareth would be the son of God and he would come down to earth and he would die in the place of the sins of all who would receive him by faith. That's a foolish message to someone who doesn't have eyes to see it and ears to hear it and a heart to believe it. And Paul says it's not a message that you attain by earthly wisdom. We don't get to be wise enough that we suddenly are ready to be saved. In fact, Paul says it's folly, God didn't save us through human wisdom. He saved us through this message that is foolishness to those who don't have the eyes to see it and the ears to hear it. But he says, for the word of cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is what? It's the power of God. It's the power of God. Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation. That this idea that God himself would step out of heaven and come down and live the life that you and I could never live. That he would meet his own standard of the law and then he would die in our place for all the ways that we don't meet his standard. It's the power of God. And please don't get tripped up when he says those who are being saved. He's talking to believers, but Paul is appealing to the idea. Um, In fact, in this letter, he says, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And what he means by that is when you put your faith in Christ, at that moment, you are saved. 2 Corinthians 5, you're a new creation in Christ. You are justified in that moment. You are declared righteous and holy, not because of your works, but because of Jesus's work on the cross. You have been saved, but that doesn't just instantly make you perfect, does it? You don't just suddenly have holy, heavenly desires all the time after you put your faith in Jesus, do you? No. So we are actively being saved. Part of this salvation is God puts his Holy Spirit in us to dwell with us, and now we are being saved. We're being sanctified. God conforms us to the image of his son, as Romans 9 says, Romans 8, 29 says. But God is making us holy over time. As we gather together, as we spend time in his word, as you meditate on his word, and he exposes your sin and shows you all the ways we wander, as trials come and God uses those to sanctify us, and conform us to his image and show us all of the things in this world that we've put our hope in or our confidence in as he takes those things away from us. That Peter says, don't be surprised. Like, it's good to start a year and pray for earthly circumstances and good circumstances and traveling mercies and all of them. Like, let's pray for those. Those are good things to pray for. God will grant some of those prayers. But he's also promised us in his word that in this world, you will have trouble. So as we go into this year, we don't go into it being naive either. Um, There's brokenness in this world. There's tragedy in this world. Many of you, all of us, really experienced that in different forms and different colors last year and the year before that and the year before that, that we live in a broken world. But because of the gospel, God can even use those terrible, dark, broken moments to conform us to the image of his Son to make us more like him, to show us more of his grace. In fact, um, I don't know if any of you have ever read, um, her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. Um, she is a quadriplegic, um, had an accident decades ago. She's written multiple books. Um, so she cannot use her arms or her legs. And uh, not only did she experience that years ago, um, she's also experienced a battle with cancer twice. Um, still alive, still alive. Writing, Um, In fact, one of her books is just songs that she sang in the quietness of the night as she's in excruciating pain, just songs she would sing out to Jesus to try to comfort her in her pain. And it's in a book now, you can read it, but in one of her books, I wanna quote, sorry, I'm pulling out my phone, the quote's on my phone. Um, I wanna quote this um, from her in her book. It's called Hope, the Best of Things. It says this, um, so she lived her life, essentially, most of her life in a wheelchair, excruciating pain, can't use her arms or her legs, praising the Lord, writing books, going through cancer twice. She says this, um, I sure hope I can bring this wheelchair to heaven. Now I know that's not theologically correct. She's, She's a smart girl, right? She knows that in heaven there will be no sickness, no disabilities, no crying, that we will all be in new resurrected bodies. Paul will spend all of 1 Corinthians 15 because the church in Corinth believed that it was very Greek philosophy that our souls were the only thing that went to heaven, our souls only lived on. And Paul says, no, we know that because Jesus' soul didn't live on. His body was resurrected. And because he was resurrected, we'll get resurrected bodies. So it is a true reality that when we get to heaven, you will get to physically touch and hold and hug people that were in Christ that have gone before us. We will have new, glorified, resurrected bodies, and we will joy intimacy with God and with them like we've never experienced before. Like that's how Paul ends this letter with a very triumphant ending, and I wish we could go there, but for the sake of time, we don't. So she's saying, I wish this wheelchair could go to heaven, and I know that's not theologically right, and then she says this, but I hope to bring it and put it in a little corner of heaven, and then in my view, then in my new perfect glorified body, standing on grateful, glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior, holding his nail-pierced hands, and I'll say, Thank you, Jesus. And he will know that I mean it because he knows me. He'll recognize me from sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings. And she said, sorry, I can't even see it now. She says, And I will say, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble, because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It never would have happened had, it, had you not given me that bruising blessing of that wheelchair. And then she says the real ticker tape parade of praise will begin, and all of earth will join the party. And at that point, Christ will open up our eyes to the great fountain of joy in his heart for us beyond all that we have ever experienced on earth. And when we were able to stop laughing and crying, the Lord Jesus will really wipe away our tears. And I find it so poignant or ironic that finally at the point when I do have the use of my arms to wipe away my own tears, I won't have to because God will. And then she says, and after all that, I will tell him he can condemn that wheelchair to hell if he wants to. I would too. But the gospel is so rich and is so deep that yes, we have been, we are, some of us in here, we will go through some of the darkest moments in our lives. But God's grace is so deep and so vast that even in those moments, God can use those to show us more of his grace, more of his strength, more of his goodness, more of his kindness in ways that we would have never experienced otherwise. And I love that. I absolutely love that. And I don't really even know how I got there, but um, I'm gonna keep going in first Corinthians because I trust that that was from the Lord. But it said, for Christ, um, oh, we're, we're way beyond that. For the word of cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where's the one who is wise? Where is the scribe, where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who would believe. Essentially, worldly wisdom cannot save you. And in God's infinite wisdom, he chose that you and I wouldn't know him by wisdom, but we would know him by the foolishness of this gospel message. And it would be the power of God unto salvation and save those who would be opened, our eyes would be opened, our hearts would be changed, he would pierce our hearts and we would believe it and trust it and receive it and make it the anchor of our lives. And then he says this, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ and Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling brothers and then appeals to their lack of wisdom. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Here's why, verse 29. So that, it's a purpose statement. Here's why he did it. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That the fact that you and I, if you're in Christ, will spend forever in heaven, we will, no one will be, we will have literally zero reason, zero right to boast when we are in heaven. Because it's not our works, it's not our wisdom, it's not that we attain knowledge. It is solely on the grace and the kindness and the mercy of Jesus Christ that we are there. That He has forgiven our sin, He has shown us His grace. None of us will be able to boast. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that's where I wanna stop and let us pray this morning. Verse 30 and 31. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Not because of your wisdom, not because we are smarter than our neighbors or our coworkers or our family members, but because of God. We are in Christ Jesus. And why? How? Because God himself became to us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That's why we are saved. We could never sanctify ourselves. We could never redeem ourselves. We could never be wise enough. But Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and for us, he became wisdom, sanctification, righteousness, sanctification and redemption. So I just wanna take each one of these words and this was a really powerful thing for me this week and another text another part of the Bible. Um, And you can do this individually. Um, We're not asking anybody to do this out loud unless you just really want to. Um, But we're just gonna take a moment and go through each of these words and uh, we're going to praise God for each of these. So we'll start with wisdom. And we are going to just take a minute. You can look through the passage and praise God for his wisdom. You can think about all that God has orchestrated in your life and his wisdom, but we're just gonna take 30 seconds to a minute and praise God for his wisdom. And then after that, I'll lead us, but we'll take a minute um, to confess all of the times that we don't seek his wisdom. Um, His word is wisdom. James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives freely He will give us wisdom all the time, but so many, if you're like me, so many days we wake up and we're just like, no thanks God, I've got this one today. I've got enough wisdom for today, I've got this figured out. And we don't seek his wisdom. So before we get ahead, let's take some time, just where you are silently, you can do this as a couple, as a family or individually, just take a minute and praise God to yourself for his wisdom and then uh, I'll lead us in a prayer. Lord, we confess, or no, we pray. We'll confess in a minute. Lord, we pray and we praise you for your infinite wisdom. As Isaiah says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher than our ways, your thoughts and our thoughts. God, in your infinite wisdom, you have given us incredibly good gifts. You've given us your son. God, in your wisdom, you planned. Before the world existed, that you would create a world and you would step down in it to redeem it and to save it and to draw people from every tribe and tongue and nation to yourself. And the story will end with us from every tribe and tongue and nation at the throne singing, salvation belongs to the Lord. In your wisdom, you created that. God, you are so wise. You are the definition, literally, of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, as Proverbs says. God, we praise you for your infinite wisdom in our lives. God, we trust your wisdom in our lives and your sovereign hand in our lives, that though our circumstances may seem like you're distant, God, you're not. In fact, you're dwelling in us if we're in Christ. So God, we praise you for your wisdom and we trust your wisdom in Jesus' name. And then just take a minute and confess all of the ways we, you haven't, maybe you wanted to get specific in your life, all the ways you haven't sought his wisdom, all the days that we don't seek his wisdom, all the days that we trust and depend on the wisdom of the world and say, you know what, God, no thanks this morning. I've got this figured out. Just take a minute and let's confess as a body before the Lord. God, we confess all of the moments that we wander, all of the days, all of the moments where we just rely on human strength and human wisdom. God, you have given us your word. You literally wrote a book for all creation to know you and enjoy you and to dwell with you and to learn from you and to follow you. God, a book that so many in other parts of the world are risking their lives to translate for people that have never heard the gospel and they finally get it and they rejoice and they sing and they dance and they praise the fact that they have the word of God in their hands. God, we confess all of the times that we don't seek you. We try to do things in our own power. God, we're grateful that for all the ways that we were not wise, You became for us wisdom in your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus name. Now we're gonna move to uh, sanctification. The word sanctification is referring to God's holiness that he is making us holy over time. So let's just take a minute and praise God for his holiness. God is not like us. All that he does is pure and holy and right and good. You may have some specifics that you wanna pray regarding your own life or your own last few weeks or year, but let's just take a minute and praise God for his purity, his holiness, his majesty, his beauty, and then I'll lead us. Lord, we praise you. You are set apart. There is none like you, O God. You are worthy of all praise. How majestic are your ways in all the earth. You are pure. You are beautiful. You are good. You are right. God, we praise you. That holiness step down into a broken unholy world to dwell with us to be kind to us to love us to serve us but ultimately to lay down our lives lay down your life for us and god now you have freely given us your holiness in christ all praise all glory to you we are not like you in the slightest. What is man that you are mindful of people like us? God, you are good, you are merciful, you are gracious, and you are holy. There is no one like you, in Jesus' name. Now the fun part, let's take a minute and just confess our unholiness. And God's spirit may bring specifics regarding your situation and your life to mine. Um, I'm gonna be doing the same, but let's just go before the Lord and confess all the ways that we are not pure and right, and beautiful and majestic in our words and in our thoughts and in our deeds and in our actions. Um, So let's take a minute and confess that before the Lord. we confess that as we gaze at your holiness our wretchedness just comes to the surface God my heart wanders every single day there is not a moment of my life that I have ever loved you with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind and all of my strength I just don't I wander all the time God, on my best day, in my best moments, in the most selfless acts that I commit, there is always still a part of me that is the sin that just taints it and that wants glory, that wants attention, that feels proud for what I did. God, I am unholy. And we praise you, we confess that. God, we are so in awe that you in your perfect holiness would step down to earth and you would willingly go to a cross and take on all of our sin and all of our shame. The only one who did not deserve to die, willingly died for all of our sin, all of our wretchedness, all of our wickedness, the only holy one took it on himself so that we could be made holy, got our only response. His praise, in Jesus' name. And then last one is redemption. Let's take a minute and just praise God for his redemption in our lives, that he has restored what is broken, he has restored our standing with him through the cross of Christ, that he is redeeming us now, he's redeemed us in his sight at the cross, he redeems our mistakes, he redeems our regrets in this life, that he is our redemption. So let's take a minute and praise him for all the ways that you've seen his redemption, not just at the cross, but also in your life. Lord, we praise you. You are our redemption. There is no other way by which we will be saved, by which we will redeemed. You are the only way. Ephesians says, God, we were dead in our sins. Dead people don't crawl. Dead people don't get up. Dead people don't walk. God, there was nothing that we could do to save ourselves. But God, you made a way where there wasn't a way. While we were sinners, you died for us. You made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Father, our only response is to praise you. You are our redemption. We are not a part of your family adopted, co-heirs with Christ, going to reign in the future with you forever. We don't have any of that because of anything we've done. Not because we're smart, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, not because we're American, but because you are kind and good and gracious towards us. We praise you for that. In Jesus name, amen. And last one, let's just take a minute and confess for all of the things we turn to to try to save us every day during the week, to try to fill voids in our hearts. Instead of running to the fountain of living water, as Jeremiah says, We dig for ourselves these broken cisterns to try to bring us happiness and joy and peace. We are so quick to turn to other things. If it's a job, if it's a car, if it's a relationship, if it's status, whatever it is, if it's how people perceive us in the community, we turn to so many things to try to save ourselves, try to manufacture our own redemption, try to find life in the things of this world. So let's just take a minute and confess all of the ways that we seek this that we seek this world for uh, redemption Lord, we confess for wandering hearts, for not trusting in the gospel and your goodness. God, everything that we try to find in this world, we already have in the gospel. If it's approval, if it's satisfaction, if it's control, if it's security, pleasure. God, everything we run to in this world to try to fill these Desires and these voids, we already have freely given to us in you. So God, forgive us. We are a wandering, distrusting, running away group of people. God, I can't help but think of the story in Hosea of Hosea and Gomer, where just like Gomer, we commit adultery with you all the time in action, in word, in heart, in deed. And God, although we ran from you, you ran after us. And although you created us, although we truly belong to you, whether we believe in you or not, you purchased us again on the cross so that we could be in right relationship with you. God, forgive us for all the ways that we try to find salvation and redemption in this world. Jesus, you are our redemption. Salvation is in no other name In Jesus' name, amen. And the reason Paul can say that and the only way to end chapter one of 1 Corinthians in light of all that, Paul says in verse 31, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's our only boast. The only reason you and I have experienced God's grace is because God, he's our only boast, He's our salvation, we were not wise, we were not holy, we were not righteous, we were not redeemed, and our only boast is that Jesus Christ became for us and to us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So the fact that we gather together, the fact that we're about to take the bread and the cup is just boasting that all glory, all honor, all praise is to Jesus Christ. He's the only one who's worthy. So if you've got your cup, and your bread. Now, let me just tell you, these things are tricky. Um, if you've been here before, you know this. Um, there's a little piece of film on the top that you're supposed to peel off. Not the purple film, but there's like a clear film that gets you access to the little wafer there. If you want to grab that, um, we have examined, as Paul tells us to, in First Corinthians 11. And uh, let's take the bread. <laughs> the cup together let me read this for you verse chapter 11 verse 23 for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me so church let's take the bread together Carefully open this cup. Verse 25 says, In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. And then he ends this paragraph with, For as often as you eat this bread, and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes That's what we proclaim this morning it's what we're about to proclaim in song he's our salvation he's our redemption and this act this sacrament this ordinance of us taking the Lord's Supper together it points back to the night before Jesus was betrayed it points further back to exodus when the Israelites would tr- take God at his word and trust God and they would put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts and death passed over. It's the same thing that has happened to us. We've taken God at his word, the folly that, of what I just preached, we believed it. We trusted in the blood of the lamb and now death passes over us, but it also points forward to a day when you and I get to literally approach, approach a table with God himself and we get to feast with him forever. And the only reason we will have access to that table is because Jesus Christ became for us righteousness, wisdom, sanctification, and redemption. So let's end this morning by praising him. Lord, all glory, all honor, all praise is only given to you. Not to high point, not to any earthly name, the only one worthy of our lives, worthy of our affection, is Jesus Christ. So we praise him now. In Jesus' name.